Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open God's Word together to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll read the scriptures together. We're going to begin in verse 6 and read down through verse 16. All right, so when you found that, let's stand together. We'll have prayer and begin reading in verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And in a moment, we'll begin reading in verse 6. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us today. We thank you for your precious word. And we thank you for the privilege that we have, the freedom to, to hold it in our hands, to carry it around, to read it every day, to memorize it, to quote it, to preach from it. Lord, what a privilege and what an honor it is. What a blessing to have a copy of God's word. Lord, I pray that we'll appreciate that value and that freedom and that we'll utilize it by taking advantage of your word and, and reading it regularly, storing it away in our hearts, memorizing it and meditating upon its truths, applying them to our lives that we might have guidance from your holy word. Lord, we do love you and we thank you for all that you've given to us. We pray now you'd guide us through our study, apply to our hearts those things you'd have us learn, and help us to do, Lord, what you'd have us do. Speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Bible says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially to those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. What a great passage of scripture. I want to call your attention, if I may, to verse 7. And if you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, I would invite you to mark or underline this expression where Paul said to Timothy, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Think about that. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. I want to speak on this thought this morning, godly exercises, godly exercises. I guess this would be a good message to preach around January because, you know, first of the year, everybody's on a New Year's craze and they're going to the gym and working out and starting their new diets and all of these things and they want to lose pounds and calories and all of that. And you know the trend, it lasts about six weeks, <laughs> two months if they're really dedicated, right? And about March, the, gym, the membership attendance at the gym just kind of sways down. 
Well, this happens every year, and those in the fitness industry will, will, will attest to that. And the reason that is so is because we, we do recognize the value of exercise. But I wonder this morning, have we recognized the value of spiritual exercises? May I say this morning, more important than physical exercise is these spiritual exercises that Paul is writing to Timothy about. Now here's some things that we need to write down and develop some workout routines so that we might go to God's gym and that we might develop ourselves into the people that God would have us be. We do this by exercise, or some may use the word practice. As they say, practice makes perfect. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul said, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Paul affirmed the value of exercise, but he did say in verse 8, bodily exercise profiteth little. Now, you understand that if you've ever been to the gym, if you've had a workout routine, you know that it takes a lot of practice, a lot of exercise to kind of achieve your goals and get to the fitness level that you want to be in. Long and hard must you work, consistent must you be. But you also know on the other side of that, very quickly does it fade away when you, when you get out of your routine and you miss going to the gym or wherever you work out. Uh, and you realize it fades away fast, doesn't it? Well, that's why he said bodily exercise, it does profit, but he said it profits little. Especially in comparison to spiritual exercises. Now, I'll tell you what, we can fade away from our spiritual routine, but, I'm, but what we gain when we exercise spiritually we don't lose like we do in the physical realm. That knowledge, that experience, that understanding will stay with you. You can keep that, amen? That's good. So it's definitely worth the effort we put in. In verse 11, Paul talked about this to Timothy. These things, he said, command and teach. You know why? Because everybody needs to know the value of spiritual exercises. Everybody needs to know the importance of, of being godly and doing what God wants us to do in our lives. So there's some exercises that are mentioned here. There's, in fact, three that Paul gives to young Timothy, very important exercises that we also would do well to maintain these, get in a routine of developing ourselves and doing these spiritual exercises. The first one is found in verse 12. Notice he said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And so, first of all, Paul tells Timothy that we need to be exercising our example. Exercising our example. How many of you have ever heard the expression, some things are caught more than they are taught? You ever heard that? All right, why is that? Because we are social creatures. God made us that way. And often we learn things from others. We learn things by watching others. We learn things by accompanying someone. We learn things when someone provides the example, when they show us how to do it, when they show us what to do, where to go, when they are specifically becoming literally the pattern that we follow. As a matter of fact, this very idea is expressed from the Apostle Paul to Titus. Let's look at uh, uh, Titus just for a moment, right before the book of Hebrews. Look at Titus chapter 2. 
The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse number 7, notice what he said to Titus. He said, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. All right. Um, notice what is he saying? He's saying, Titus, you need, to, you need to walk in such a way that people could use you for an example. Think about that. So if we had someone come to Christ, brand new Christian, and we said, hey, this person needs to be discipled. Um, let's send them home with you. <laughs> Would you be all right with that? If we just told them, hey, if you want to learn about the Christian life, just follow Follow brother so-and-so around. Follow sister so-and-so. Hey, listen, they'll show you everything that you need to know about being a Christian. How well would that work? It would work as well as our example, wouldn't it? Because they're just going to pick up and do what we do. That's how life is. That's how we are. You know, that's how we learn. Paul is, is empowering these two young preachers, Timothy and Titus and and, you know, of all the entourage of other people that Paul trained, he probably taught all of them this principle. Exercise your example because you become the pattern that someone else will watch and learn from. How many of you heard this, this quote where, where somebody said, you may be the only Bible that some people ever read? That's exactly what they mean by that quote, is that your life becomes a pattern. And it's true, isn't it? Because every unbeliever has an idea of what a Christian should be like. And when they find out you are one, immediately they expect you to conform to that. It's a pattern. It's an example. Exercise your example. Well, Paul got very specific with Timothy. He not only told him to do this exercise, but he told him how to do it. He told him what it involves. And so this is pretty interesting. He elaborated here. He said to Timothy, be thou an example of the believers. Well, how do you do that? What areas does that cover? Paul said, first of all, in word. Have you ever thought about your words? In Titus chapter 2, verse 1, Paul told Titus, he said, speak the things which become sound doctrine. Wow, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? In other words, the things that come out of your mouth, people should be able to take it to the bank. It ought to be that true. Sometimes we use the expression gospel. We'll say that's gospel. We don't mean that it's the story of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. What we really mean when we say that is that is absolutely true. Right? So it may be a little misuse of the, of the expression, but, but you get the drift. And, and so Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, this is how you be an example, by the words you speak. So I want to ask you today, do the words that you speak, do they line up with the life that you're supposed to live? Would they conform to the pattern of what a Christian ought to be? Those words coming out of your mouth, does that show an image of who you are in Christ? It should. In James 1.26, the Bible talks about bridling the tongue. Now, why did James mention that? There needs to be some restraint because, you know, you and I as believers... We have that part of us that's saved, but we also have that part we struggle with, the carnal nature, the old sinful flesh, the unsaved part. We're going to live with that part till we die. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talked about the struggle that he had between the flesh and the spirit, between doing right and 
doing and not doing right. We all have that struggle, don't we? And guess what? Our tongue gets involved in that. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't say. Sometimes it's on impulse. Sometimes it's reactionary. But it's there, isn't it? <clears throat> that's why Titus, excuse me, that's why James <clears throat> talked about bridling the tongue. <clears throat> because we, as believers, have the responsibility of restraining that part of us that would come out so quickly but not reflect who we are in Christ or Christ himself. Because sometimes the first thing that comes to your mind is the last thing you ought to say. <clears throat> Get a hold of that. We can't excuse bad behavior by saying, well, that's just who I am. Well, that's the way God made me. Well, that's how I think. All of those are excuses. Brother James says, bridle your tongue. <clears throat> Why? Because our tongue, our words, are part of the way that we praise the Lord. Our words are part of our example, the example we set for others. And isn't that what we're called to do? What is the Great Commission? To win the lost, baptizing them, and then what? Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So we teach not only with our lips, but we teach with our life. We teach the way we live. We become an example to others, the pattern for them. God's reminding us of that. Hey, we need to, we need to exercise this. We need to have a spiritual workout session. We need to develop that muscle that bridles that tongue. We need to pull that restraint at times. How about this? We need to also exercise... <clears throat> The example of our, uh, of our lives, <clears throat> the Bible says, in conversation. Now, you might say, well, preacher, we already talked about words. This word conversation is not the kind of conversation that we mean when we say conversation. We mean the things we say to each other. This word conversation actually is an old English word. It means lifestyle. It's talking about the way we live, not what we say. So when the Bible talks about all manner of conversation, it's talking about all manner of living. It's talking more about our ways than it is our words. When you see the word conversation, it means manner of life or the way you live your life. It has to do with things like priorities, activities, and it also includes attitudes. These are our ways, our expressions. You know, sometimes we, we, we call it body language. But as we talk and interact with each other, we express ourselves in nonverbal ways. Those things are included in this area called conversation or lifestyle. Think about that. Priorities, activities, attitudes, expressions. Do these represent Christ well? Exercising our example means having a lifestyle that gives praise to our God. Next, Paul said, how about this, in charity. Charity here, the word charity, is not love felt. It is love expressed. It's love in action. 
And aren't we guilty sometimes of feeling it without showing it? Thinking it without saying it? Sure we are. So guess what? That's why we have to exercise. That's why we have to go to God's gym. And we have to make the connection between feeling and doing, thinking and saying. We have to make sure that we're, that we're there. We have to be there in those times to do and say, to give, to express that love. Brother James talked about seeing your brother in need and saying, be blessed, warmed and filled. But at the same time, we do nothing to help with those things that are needful to the body. Brother James was saying that's hypocritical for us to do that. And the worst thing we can do in that kind of a situation is to say, well, I'm praying for you and never even pray. We add insult to injury. What did Jesus say about this? He said in John 13, 35, by this, shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. He wasn't just talking about felt love. He was talking about love that's shown. We need to put our love in action. We need to make charity a thing that lives and does and moves. He said also that we're to exercise our example in spirit. What is this word spirit referring to? Well, it comes from a word that has to do with our mental disposition. It has to do with our attitude, our perspective. You know, I find that you're going to have a hard time with this exercise if you're a negative Nelly all the time. You know, we like to say, well, I'm not negative. I'm just a realist. Really. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Read the Bible. And, and see which category Jesus would fit in. Would we say he's positive or would we say he's negative? I know there were times that he got real with people, like the Pharisees. Was he being negative? Not really. He was being positive with them also, wasn't he? Now, his message may have been a little negative, but isn't that because that's what they needed to hear? Right? So we find his disposition, though, was more positive, more caring, more nurturing. You know, we need to work on some of that. Those things may come natural to some and not, not, not so natural to others, but we all have this exercise, this workout routine to do, which means you may have to put a little more effort here than maybe someone else does, but we're all expected to be an example in spirit. How about in faith, the next category? Be an example in faith. I think of examples of the Bible that show us how to have faith. Examples like Abraham and Isaac. Do you remember Abraham taking Isaac up on the mount? God had asked for Isaac as a burnt offering. Never intending for Abraham to actually make the sacrifice, but just testing him to see if he would. Would you give up that which is most precious to you? The Bible talks about giving up homes and lands and families and friends for Jesus' sake. Would we do it? Abraham demonstrated great faith when he took Isaac up on the mountain and he told his servants, he said, I and the lad are going to go worship and come again to you. You see, because Abraham already knew that God promised Isaac was the promised child to produce generations. So he thought to himself, well, if God wants me to sacrifice him, then he must be planning to raise him from the dead because he's already promised that through him, his seed would be blessed. 
He's the promised child. He can't die. He had that much faith in God, even though his reasoning wasn't accurate. God had no such plans. But in his mind, that's the only way it could make sense what God was asking him to do. So he willingly stepped out and did that. But not only, not only did Abraham have faith, I believe the faith of Abraham rubbed off on Isaac, who at that point was not a little boy, but a, but a big boy. Big enough to say no to an aged father. And as they walked up the mountain, Isaac said, well, here's all the elements of the sacrifice, but where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. So he continued a little farther, and when they got up to the top, they prepared everything for the sacrifice and the altar and the, and the wood and all of that. Then Abraham ties Isaac up and lays him on the altar. And I find the faith of Isaac being revealed as he willingly lays there. Again, being reminded that he was big enough to say no. He was big enough to say, hey, you ain't putting me on that altar. I don't think so, not today. The Bible doesn't tell us that he even had that as a thought. There was no hesitation, as far as we know, in the, in the, in the response of Isaac when Abraham tied his hands and laid him on the altar. What does that tell us? It tells us that Isaac must have had faith in, the, in Abraham's God, his God also. Watching Abraham trust God encouraged him to trust God. And so he was willing to. Hey, dear friend, that, that's why it's so important for you and I to try to be an example. Look, we're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect till we get to heaven. But it is important that we try. It is important that we try to set an example because others are going to follow. They are going to watch. They are going to copy us. They are going to do what we do, whether we want them to or not, whether we like it or not. Hey, I'm telling you this morning, you are an example. And here's the interesting part. You don't always know to whom you're an example. Isn't it interesting in, in the Christian life especially? Sometimes those that we want to influence for God, we find we have no power of influence over. And yet, at the same time, someone that we're not even aware of may be watching us and emulating us and copying us. And we may have power of influence over their life and not even know it. It's the truth. God, knowing all of this, speaks through the Apostle Paul as he teaches Timothy for us to exercise our example. Lastly, he says, exercise in purity. In purity. In all of these areas, the idea is that we should set the example for others. So remember, as you live your life, be as pure as you would be setting the example. Have as much faith as you would setting the example. Have the right kind of spirit as if you were setting the example. Demonstrate charity and let your love come alive as if you were setting the example 
of how charity ought to be shared. Live your life in such a way that it was going to be copied. And use words that edify others and become sound doctrine. Use words that are identified as truth and related to the Lord and His Word. Why? Because all of these are areas where you and I are examples to others. You know, the thing is, whether we're trying to or not, we are setting an example. We are. And whether or not someone else is willing to do a thing or not do a thing, it might all be based on what they see in you. Well, brother so-and-so thinks it's okay. Well, she does it. And what are they saying? By implication, if, it must, if it's okay for them, it must be okay for me. Right? We're not only to exercise our example in verse 12, but notice verse 13. The Bible says, till I come, give what? Attendance. Did you know there are some things God wants us to attend to? We're to exercise our attendance. Verse 13 makes that clear. There's three things that God tells us that we are to attend. Notice what he said in verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to what? Reading. Ooh. People say, preacher, I don't like to read. Well, get over it. Because God said, read. Hey, I'm telling you, my wife's a better reader than I am. She loves reading. I never have liked reading. I like it more now that I know the Lord. The thing I like to read most is the Bible. It's what I learned how to read on. I learned how to, I learned how to like reading reading the Bible, okay? The Bible is what made me interested in reading things because before I came in contact with that, I really wasn't. Think about it. God said, I want you to attend reading. People say, where does the Bible say we should read the Bible? Right here. This is one of those places. There are others. This is one of those places that gives us the implication that God wants us to read his word. Give attendance to reading. Reading what? <laughs> the Bible. He's certainly not telling us to read U.S. News and World Report. Right? Wasn't even around in his day. <clears throat> and it's not recommended reading on, <laughs> on the list of the Apostle Paul. So we find God wants us to read his word. Read the Bible. Look, if you have trouble reading the Bible, you don't have to read it all in one day, all right? You just have to read a little bit at a time. What's really important is that you understand what you read. So if you have to take it one verse at a time, one passage at a time, one chapter at a time, whatever it is, then do that. I recommend reading through the whole Bible, but don't start with that if you're not, good, if you're not a good reader. If you're not a good reader, start with one book, like the book of John or maybe the book of Romans. Start with that. Read one. If you have to read the whole book by reading one verse a day, again, just make sure that you understand what you're reading. That's the whole point. If you have to read it ten times, then do that, but make sure you understand what you're reading. When you come to the Bible and you read God's Word, it's not like scanning the newspaper to check the headlines. 
when we read God's word, we should be looking for opportunities for God to speak to us through his word. And that's why when we read the Bible, we should understand what we're reading and we should come away with some thought that we're learning from his word. So whether it's a word or an expression or maybe the whole verse, we should come away with something. Hey, don't you know, isn't it good when you go to a good restaurant? Oh, man, and it's so good, right, that you just can't eat it all. And what do you do? You ask for a take-home plate, right? I need a box for this. I need to take it home. You know, they used to call that a doggy bag. Man, I'm taking a doggy bag. You know it's good if you ask for that. You don't get doggy bags from McDonald's, right? You don't finish that. That goes in the trash can. You don't, you don't worry about taking that home. But if you go somewhere and you have a good steak dinner or maybe something, some other kind, Italian, Mexican, whatever your favorite is, and it's good and you can't eat it all, what? What are you doing? You're not leaving that. You're not throwing that away. Man, you asked for a to-go box and we're taking that home. Right? You want to come up, you come away with something. Mm, that's good. Hey, that's how the Bible ought to be to us. We ought to come away from our Bible reading. Mm, we ought to be taking some with us. Right? Whether you read a verse or a passage or a chapter or three or four chapters, you ought to come away with something. Boy, this stood out to me today. God's speaking to me about this. Give attendance to reading. Look, there's apps today. I have an app on my phone. It's called Version, And it actually looks like a little Bible. I'm into it every day. Right there, it says Holy Bible. It looks like a Bible. It's right there on my phone. I can open this app. And uh, it has several options. It has Bible right there. I can do that. And then at the top, it has the, the book and the chapter. I can, I can read any chapter I want right there. Here's what's really nice about it. And, and right here, I'm just going to say, uh, let's just, today's the 14th. So this is always a good thing to do. I highly recommend that if, uh, if you've got a reading plan down, you might want to read a Proverbs a day. So today's 14. You go to Proverbs chapter 14 right there. All right. And so... There's chapter 14, Proverbs chapter 14. I can read it right there on my phone. I like that because you can be somewhere and uh, you can be waiting in line or sitting waiting on someone and you can, hey, right there, instead of killing time, you can read God's word. On the go, everywhere. What I really like about this app is that you can hit the play button and it will read it to you. Right? So you got a long drive, a commute to work maybe, guess what? Boop, you could be having God's word read to you. How about that? So you don't have to read it, just listen. Right? Listen and let God speak to your heart. This keeps up with what you've read and you can move right along. It's a great thing. There's also an option here. It says plans right in the middle, a little check mark. You can go through and find different Bible reading plans and you can get on those. You can set a reminder for your phone to beep and let you know, hey, it's time to read the Bible today. Great helps. So what, what am I saying? I'm just saying there's a lot of tools to help us read God's Word. We really don't, shouldn't have an excuse not to do it. Because God is saying, if we're going to be the kind of Christians we ought to be, we need to give attendance to reading. We need to make sure we're reading God's Word. The next thing he said was give attendance not only to reading, but notice to exhortation. Now here, the word exhortation simply means encouragement or admonishment. Preaching should do that for you. 
exhortation was often used as, as a word to, to refer to what we call preaching. So if you're not sure if the Bible says you should go to church, here's a verse right here saying God is saying exercise your attendance and go to church. Attend exhortation. What am I doing? I'm exhorting you to, to be an example of a believer. I'm exhorting you to attend the reading of God's word and the preaching of God's word. Think about it. God is saying we should attend these things. We should be there. Right? We should attend exhortation. How about this? To doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. Now, when I say the word doctrine, your mind probably goes to the body of doctrine that we teach as Bible believers or as independent Baptists. We believe certain things about the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe certain things about the local church. We believe certain things about the Word of God. That's, that's the body of doctrine that we refer to. But the Word itself means teaching. God is saying we need to be taught. We need to attend doctrine and we need to attend the teaching of God's word well that could be Sunday school that could be a lot of things that could be our midweek Bible study that could be our growth point study teaching God's word we need to be a part of that we need to learn and grow as believers so we need to exercise our attendance how would you rate your attendance on a scale of one to ten Rate yourself, and then do what? Then exercise. Get in there and do it, right? Polish up, get better. Hey, what do you do when you exercise? First, you try to get consistent. And then you try to do a little bit more and get bigger and better at it. The same thing should be true in the Christian life. All right, we should work on those things. Notice last, I won't say a lot about this, but look at verse 14. He said, neglect not what the gift that is in thee. You know what we need to exercise? We need to exercise our spiritual gifts. Exercise our spiritual gifts. I wrote some of them down. I'm not sure if you know what yours is, but if you don't know what yours is, you ought to go to churchgrowth.org and you ought to find their, their spiritual gifts survey and take it. You'll have to create a profile and put in your email address. The reason they do that is because they're going to email you the response. They're going to tell you what your spiritual gift is. They're going to send you sheets of paper for your first, second, and third spiritual gift. And those sheets are going to tell you what the gift is and explain how that works. That's going to give you some understanding to how to use it in your life. Not just at church, but everywhere you go. This is how you're wired. This is the way God made you. And so this will help you at home dealing with other people. This will help you at work knowing what kind of work to do if you've ever felt lost about that. This can give you some direction. Some of the spiritual gifts are the gift of administration. This is the gift of organizing and structuring. And you may be good at that. The gift of evangelism. Evangelism is proclaiming the gospel, telling people about Jesus. Uh, those people have a passion for doing that. The gift of exhortation, which is really the gift of encouragement or admonishment. Uh, how about the gift of giving? Obviously, that refers to giving. It also refers to seeing needs that people have, felt needs. Uh, it has to do with gathering. You may be a good gatherer because you're a good giver. So not only do you, may you personally give, but you might be good at fundraising and things like that. How about the gift of mercy? The gift of mercy deals with uh, empathizing with others and showing compassion. 
Empathy is when we can when we can see ourselves in the shoes of another person, when we can kind of feel what they must be feeling, right? It takes a little creativity and a little imagination to be able to project yourself kind of in their situation, right? But, but it's good to have that ability to do that. Some people are real good at that. Some people are terrible at that, all right? So that may be your gift and it may not. By the way, all of these are good things that we all should work towards and, and try to do. But if, you're, if you have the gift of mercy, you guess what? You're going to do it better than somebody who doesn't have the gift of mercy. It doesn't mean you're the best at it. It means that's what you do best. All right, how about the gift of prophecy? You say, oh, no, I'm not called to preach. No, no, no. This, this term, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, prophecy means proclaiming the truth. It means you're the kind of person that sees black and white. You don't look around and see much gray area. Some people look at things and see a lot of gray and they're confused and don't know where the lines are. That's not you. If you have the gift of prophecy, boom, I mean, it's pretty much cut and dry. You kind of know where to draw the line and you don't know why anybody else can't figure it out, right? Because you just see that when you look. How about the gift of serving? The gift of serving is the, is the gift of serving usually under others. This is usually the person that doesn't want the leadership role, but they want to undergird and help. They have the gift of serving, or some people call it the gift of helps, right? They like to do the legwork and the hands-on part. And also, they're good at seeing needs, things that need to be done. Whether they see the need ahead of time or not, though, these are people that are very eager and willing to get in there if you tell them what to do. They want to jump in, and they want to have a part, and they like doing that. How about shepherding? Shepherding is nurturing others. It's providing guidance, and maybe providing other things for them so they can grow uh, properly. That's the shepherding uh, gift. And then how about the gift of teaching? Explaining concepts in simpler form. Teachers are good at taking things and kind of breaking them down, right, and making them simple so that everybody can, can relate to it and understand it. Okay, you probably went through school and thought, okay, Here's a good teacher, and maybe this one wasn't good, right? Uh, they didn't have the gift of teaching. Just because their position is that of a teacher doesn't mean they have the gift of teaching, right? There's a difference. Uh, teaching is communicating with understanding. Why is that? Because the one who has the gift of teaching, they go in and they seek to understand first. They gain an understanding about something. They back up. They see the pieces and how they fit together, and then they explain it to you in a way that you can understand, right? So that's powerful. Again, whatever gift you have, it doesn't mean you're the best at that. It just means that you do that best, right? God wired you that way, that you see things a certain way, you do things a certain way because of who you are and the gifts that he's given you. Okay, so how about yours? Do you know what your gift is? We are supposed to exercise those gifts. And when we do, guess what? We get better and we get better. We get better at those gifts as we use them, just like exercise does in every other area. It helps us improve. It helps us get better. This is why we should exercise. Now, there's two means of exercise. There's two things that Paul tells Timothy about, about these exercises that he's given him. Exercise your example, exercise your attendance, and exercise your gifts. But what does he say about how to do that? Verse 15, he says, Give thyself 
holy to them. Circle that word holy. It's not H-O-L-Y, which is godly, that kind of holy. It's W-H-O-L, right? What does that mean? It means completely. Give 100% of who you are to these things. Give all your effort. Give your best. Give yourself wholly, completely. Why? That thy profiting may appear to all. You know, when you exercise these spiritual exercises and and your life begins to develop and grow, guess what? It becomes apparent to everyone around you what God is doing in your life. You know, I had heard about spiritual gifts, but when I was a young man, I didn't really know what they all were. I, I had read the list in 1 Corinthians, you know, and Paul talked about spiritual gifts, but I never studied that, and I really didn't know what mine was. You know how it is, it's usually easier to see something in someone else's life than it is for you to see in your own sometimes. But I was growing, and I was serving, and I was exercising, and it was very encouraging to me one day when an older man came up and put his arm around me and said, man, I really appreciate you, you're such a blessing, right? But, but mainly what he shared with me at that moment was my spiritual gift. You have the gift, my primary gift is the gift of administration. He saw me step into some ministries and organize them and set them up and structure them where they ran properly. He was not an organized person. He did not have the gift of administration, all right? So this really stood out to him in his mind. Wow, he, he could see this very plainly. But, you know, I couldn't. If you had asked me what my spiritual gift was, I said I'm not really sure. I probably would have said evangelism at the time because I really had a heart for that. Think about it. It did me some good when he explained. And I asked him, well, how do you know that? And he, showed, he told me what he saw. This is what I've seen from you. That's how I know you have this gift. Well, later I took the spiritual gifts test, and he was right. And I thought, wow, I, I'm grateful that he shared that with me because it taught me something I didn't know about myself. What I'm, the reason I'm telling you that story is because notice... When you will exercise godliness, the Bible says your profiting will appear to all. And, and what I'm trying to show you is that here was a guy, we were serving together, but, but he, was, he was watching, he was viewing the profit that was coming into my life from exercising what God had given to me. It was happening when I didn't even know it was happening, but it was. And he came forward because he could see it. God wants people to see that in your life. And when you give yourself wholly to these things, what are you doing? Number one, you're, you're making a commitment to these things. And you know what we have to do? Well, quite frankly, we have to exercise our commitment, right? Because the truth is, when we first jump in, we think we're wholly given to it, but we, don't, we really don't know yet. That commitment's going to be tested over time. Life is going to test your commitment to godliness and to these spiritual exercises. You say, boy, I'm going to be faithful to church, but 19 other things are going to come up to, you know, to keep you out. What are you going to do? So we need to exercise our commitment. How do you do that? Well, the Bible says we're to meditate upon these things. And it says we're to give thyself wholly to them. Look at verse 15. Meditate upon these things. What does the word meditate mean? Some people think it just means to hum out loud with a blank mind, you know. 
No, no, no. Meditate means to think upon. So Paul is saying meditate upon these things. Think upon these things. So when you're meditating, it's, it's when you're thinking about something with no distractions and you're figuring it out. You're learning it. You're, you're, you're going through it in your mind. He's saying meditate on these things and give yourself wholly to them. That's how you become committed. And you have to practice because that commitment should be strengthened and deepened over time as you commit yourself, as you practice, right? As you choose these things over others. And then number two, verse 16, notice the Bible says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. Continue in them. You know what we have to do? We have to be consistent. Christian life involves commitment. It involves consistency. We have to exercise that. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. We are to keep our life in line with what we believe. Isn't it interesting? Paul makes a connection here between who we are and what we believe. You know why? Because our beliefs determine our values. And our values determine our character which is who we are. And our character determines our attitude. How we feel and think about things. And our attitudes determine our actions. So guess what? If you want to change the action in your life and you want it to stick, you got to go all the way back to what you believe. If there's an action in your life that you don't like, you want to change, what a lot of people do is they change the action. Well, I referred to that earlier in the sermon. That lasts about six weeks. But if you go back and figure out what belief contributed to that action, if you change the belief, then the change flows to values, character, attitude, and actions. That change will be permanent. That's, that's when you really change. Because when you change what you believe about something, you change what you value, that changes who you are. It changes how you feel and think about things, and then that changes what you do. Powerful, isn't it? Paul is teaching us that. How are we doing? We need to do some exercises, don't we? Let's go to God's gym this week. And let's exercise these things right here. What did God speak to your heart about today? Where do you think you should start? What areas should you work on? You know, I love it when, when there's a great feeling that, that's, that's joined together with what we're doing. And some of you right now, you know Christmas time's coming, so you're trying to get the feeling worked up, right? <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes... We have to just start doing the right activity, and the feeling will come, won't it? Same thing's true in the Christian life. Don't wait till you feel like it. You just got to jump in there and start doing it. And guess what? You'll feel good about it once you start doing it. And we have to do that to let God work in our lives. So let's join God's gym, and let's get involved, and let's exercise ourselves and see what God does with our lives. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the privilege we have to know you and serve you. 
Lord, also to, to reflect who you are through our lives and our behavior. We pray you'd help us as we exercise ourselves unto godliness. That you'll help us be the examples, Lord, you'd have us to be. Now we pray you'd work in us and through us. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to do that which you're leading us to do just now. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.